All right, we're back. Disability Law Show. So good to have you uh, talking in again for the next hour with myself, John Scholes, just the host, but all the knowledge, Tamar Agopian, courtesy Sanfiru Tamar and LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. You can check that out for yourself. You can also reach out on your own as well. We encourage you to do so to talk to Tamar and her team. If you're dealing with a disability insurer, possibly not getting approved for coverage, which you're owed, or maybe you've been cut off, told you're going to be cut off, asked to appeal their decision, there's a myriad of things they're going to do to throw you off the scent and uh, cause you, uh, you know, pain, panic, and strife. But there's always a cure, and that is that phone number. Reach out. Just have a simple chat to Tamar. It's not, there's no obligation. Just get your bearings. Get some information. It's all about educating yourself. How do you do that anytime? one 821 5900 That is the uh, prescription right there. Email is help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll get to a bunch of those throughout this next hour. So, uh... So strap in. We're going to get going here. We always start off with the week that was tomorrow. What do you got going on this week, pal? Well, the trials and tribulations of disability litigation, John. (laughs) Another busy week. It's been uh, really a great time, I think, because files are closing, settlements are happening. I'm more than happy to advocate for my clients week in, week out. Uh, But I always like to start our, our shows out with just highlighting you know, one or two things that I've, that came across my desk this week. And one in particular was a conversation that I had with a woman just yesterday about her disability claim and the denial of her claim by the insurance company. And I thought it featured a really interesting piece of what disability insurers are trying to do to deny claims. And so we talk about this a lot, uh, the idea that insurance companies will find any reason to deny a claim, and they will oftentimes take very inconsistent positions in even denying their claims. So you look at this, you get this denial letter, and you're thinking, okay, well, you know, I've been paid for a couple of years, and they've approved the fact that I have a disability, uh, but now they're cutting me off, and they're saying something else, and you know, why is this all happening? And so, of course, routinely, we have conversations with individuals who are in this situation. And so this woman reached out because in her situation, she has a physical disability, and she had a physical job, and she was approved by the insurance company for the full own occupation period. So that means that she was accepted by the insurance company as being disabled from her physical job. But her physical job was defined as a light duties job, okay? So it had some physicality to it, but there's ratings of different types of jobs, John, and the rating in hers was on the light end. So it wasn't a heavy or a moderate duty job. And so for those out there who might be doing these types of jobs, they'll know what I'm talking about, about light duties. And so imagine how disabled she must have been for the insurance company to have accepted for two years that she couldn't work as a result of her health and she was disabled from doing this, you know, light duties job. Mm -hmm. But of course, as the change of definition came upon her, and so this happens usually around the two-year mark in most disability claims, the test for her to continue to qualify to get LTD changed and it becomes, is there anything that you can do? Anything in the world for which you've got, you know, the minimum requirements, education, training, and so on, that's essentially going to put you in a job that could pay you roughly what you've been making on LTD. So give or take two thirds. And so the insurance company says to her, look, we acknowledge that you still have ongoing restrictions and limitations. We accept that you couldn't do your light physical duties job, but we think you can do a sedentary occupation. So because we, you can do a sedentary occupation, we're going to cut off your claim and you're no longer entitled after, two, after the two-year mark. Rightly so. She reaches out to us and, and this is the conversation we were having. She's like, well, tomorrow, 
what's the difference between me not being able to do a light physical demands job and a sedentary job? And I said, you're absolutely right, Jane Doe. You're absolutely right. There, there is no appreciable difference in my mind from the two because if you can't do a light duty job, then it stands to reason that you're going to be sufficiently limited from doing a sedentary occupation. And what's sedentary is essentially a job where you're mostly sitting. Okay, which is what we do, John, mostly sitting in an office, that sort of thing. Um, but, but I can tell you, you can absolutely be disabled from doing jobs like that, especially if you've got conditions like this woman did, which included limitations with her back and her upper extremities and having to sit in certain positions for long periods of time without breaks. And, you know, it wasn't going to be feasible for her to type, for example, if that totally. was going to be the type of job, right? And, what the insurance companies are not telling you is that the legal onus, the responsibility for the insurance company to show that there's something else you can do is on them. And so what they don't tell individuals when they deny their claims at this two-year mark is that it's not up to the individual at that point to continue to demonstrate that they're totally disabled. The insurance company has to look at all of your medical information. They are absolutely required to consider all of your restrictions and limitations, and then they can potentially deny your claim. But if they're doing so on the improper basis, as they have done for this individual, then you absolutely should not accept what they have said to you about the denial of your claim. It's absolutely inconsistent. doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. And even in a sedentary occupation, when you're sitting down and, you know, trying to answer phones and this sort of thing, you can absolutely be limited from a job like that as well. And so I thought it was an important one to highlight for the start of the show because I find more often than not, individuals tend to accept what the insurance company is saying and their analysis of it, because it can be very technical. And these kinds of words that are being used, they sort of sound the same, but people are not sure. And this is why we try and do as many of these shows and as many free consultations as we can, because if it doesn't smell right, it usually means it's not right. And this is why the advice that I gave when I spoke with her yesterday is, look, if your doctors are still supporting that you cannot work, we really should be challenging the disability insurer with a legal claim, and I'd be more than happy to help to do that. And again, to uh, to reach out any time, we always tell you uh, to do so, right? Always reach Tamar and her team. They're available, one 821 5900 is how you go about doing that. Help at disabilityrights.ca. This this comes, uh, that type of thing you're talking about, Tamar, where it's like not, it's, it's not a broken hip or, you know, you've, you've got a snap neck and you're in a full body cut. It can be something like migraines or anything like that. But if they don't, sometimes they don't see this physical injury. They figure, oh, you can do a sedentary job. Job. Maybe you can't stare at a computer screen because you get migraines and so on and so forth, but it's always an uphill battle with that, isn't it? It really is for that exact reason that adjusters are trained, John, to look for medical right. references, right, that are specific, that validate certain symptoms and that line up with their reasoning and their protocols around approving claims. But adjusters really actually don't have any experience on the medical side of things. They don't really know much about disability law either. And so they are, they've, they give, they're actually given pro forma letters, right. John, where they just plug and play information. And so the, the, this idea of being, you know, disabled from a light duty job and then being, you know, okay to do a sedentary job, this is where these kinds of pro forma letters come up. 
uh, because obviously this adjuster hasn't put any sort of thought to, does this even make sense? Does this even read right? Uh, but most importantly, you know, the nuances around other symptoms when you're looking strictly to a physical disability is absolutely another problem that I see routinely with these kinds of claims. In other words, just because let's say you've got, you know, uh, like you say, a broken arm or, or something physical that can be seen on a scan, that doesn't necessarily tell the whole story. A lot of people that we work with, a lot of our clients, it's not just one swim lane. They've got a lot of different health issues coming up. And it's not always the same thing day to day. Uh, many of them will share with me, John, that every day is a bit different, which is what makes them unable to work. Because they don't know, are they going to have a day where they can string together two or three hours? Or are they going to have a day where they are laid up for most of the day? Um, and this inconsistency around their own capabilities and their own function is really what the disability insurance policies are there for. That's why they're there to pay these income benefits. And so it can be very frustrating when you've got those kinds of symptoms like migraines, like chronic pain. Perhaps you've got some underlying mental health conditions, mood disturbances, depression, anxiety, this sort of thing. And not even putting a label on it, John, it could just be you know, fatigue and just not feeling well and just generally being yeah. like, look, I just, I can't, I can't do it. Can't work right now. And so the key, key thing with disability insurance is making sure that all of that information is made available to the insurance company to make their decisions around releasing those benefits. You don't want to leave anything out and you want to make sure that not only you are saying this stuff to your adjuster, but your doctor is reporting these things as well. Look, I know doctors don't know how to deal with disability insurance and a lot of the time it's very, very difficult along with everything else that they're doing to complete these forms and do medical reports and this sure. sort of thing. You know, it's required for these disability claims. And so I think the main thing you want to get across to your doctor if you're having a conversation with them is, look, I really need your help. This is, you know, if I don't provide this medical information, I'm definitely not going to get my disability benefits paid. And the more information out there about my health and my treatment efforts, uh, the better, right? Because it becomes then almost yeah. validated or endorsed by the doctor that you've got this disability profile that is not necessarily just one thing, that you've got a few things going on at the same time. And that's absolutely fine and absolutely a basis to qualify for total disability under the policies. Let's get on to uh, Jeremy's email. First one of the show guys says, hey, tomorrow I've been on short-term disability for about five months now uh, and on and off work for a year. Due to having grand mal seizures, I had three seizures and fractured and dislocated my dominant shoulder. Uh, as a result, I was diagnosed with epilepsy. My arm is getting better after surgery and constant physio. Can I be kicked off short-term disability because my arm is better? Would epilepsy be considered for long-term? I've never known uh, when my next seizure will hit, and I have lots of side effects from the meds and constant worry and fear and anxiety of having more seizures. Wow. That's Jeremy's email. Well, look, Jeremy, I, I actually have uh, a, a close family member who has uh, grand mal seizures as well. Um, and so this is something that I actually uh, have spoken a lot with her about. Mm -hmm. Look, she does work. Uh, so, you know, could the epilepsy condition in and of itself be qualifying for total disability? If it's controlled, probably not. But if it's not well controlled and it's got these other health issues, just like I talked about just moments ago, John, Jeremy's profile may fit within someone who is totally disabled for long-term disability as well. So 
If I'm Jeremy, I would not hesitate to apply for long-term. He's been off for a year. You don't want to miss out the time windows in which to apply for LTD. And just because one element of his of his disability has healed, which is his arm, I believe is what he said to us, doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't have other health issues that are preventing him from working. But I do think that you know, getting the doctors to comment on where he's at from a health perspective is absolutely critical for the transition from short-term to long-term. Because if he's been on short-term for about five months, I suspect he's got maybe another month, and then LTD should be kicking in. So I'd be getting that application in. The application for LTD as well is fresh medical evidence in essence, right? It allows the doctor then to really provide contemporaneous, so timely, medical information about where he is at currently with all of his health issues. So don't leave anything out, make that application. And if you've got that support for your doctor, then just because one thing is healed, doesn't mean there isn't a whole host of other things that should allow him to continue getting disability benefits to the point where his doctor finally recommends that perhaps he's ready to transition back to work. Thank you, Jeremy. We'll take a short break here, guys. Get right back to it. If you want to contribute as well, you can anytime. Help at disabilityrights.ca. And beyond the hour of the show, of course, always reaching out to Tomorrow's Simple. No obligation there. 1-855-821-5900. We'll continue. This is the Disability Law Show. Hang on. All right, welcome back, Disability Law Show. John Scholes here. So good to have you along for the uh, remainder of the hour. You can always contribute to the show and uh, send emails along when the show's not on. It'll show up on a future show for sure. Help at disabilityrights.ca. You also have the option of mydisabilityquestions.com, another free form, anonymous for you to ask questions, and they might be answered on this show. Beyond that, always make the phone call, right? Reach out on your own time to Tamar and her team. Ready for you, one 855 So, Tamar, moving on here. So, what happens, a uh, situation where an employee uh, filed for long-term disability and then over a year later felt they can work, but their job has been filled by then? What do they do now? Good question, John. And, you know, and it reminds me, actually, of Jeremy's situation, right, where he's sort of thinking, look, I've been on... Uh, disability for a while, you know, am I better? Am I going to get back to work? And then once you do, then what happens with your employment? Mm -hmm. And this really highlights the two areas of expertise we have at our firm, right? Disability law and employment law. And you can see that there's a lot of intersection between these two areas of practice. This is why we have lawyers like myself and others on our team that do both areas because you want to be able to give the right advice at the right time in respect of which path to follow. What do you do? Do you continue on disability? What do you do with your employer? And so, look, theoretically, your job should still be available to you once you're done your disability leave and are ready to get back to work. Just because you take a disability leave doesn't mean it should theoretically compromise your employment. And most employers will actually leave you well enough alone while you're on a disability leave, provided they have periodic updates about your prognosis and your return to work. So what concerns me is, if your job has been filled, then what happens in a situation like that? Well, if your doctors have given you the green light to work, and that's a big if, so if they've done that, then I will tell people, look, you should make that attempt to return. But if your job's not available to you, then you've got to go on a return to work process an accommodation process perhaps as well with your employer. Your employer has a duty to accommodate you, has a duty to find you comparable work. 
um, there's some dialogue that needs to happen with your employer when you're coming back from that leave. And we've got a lot of claims, actually, on the employment side, John, where employers have resisted people getting back from a, from a leave. And that opens the door absolutely to human rights violation. So you can't be discriminated against because you've taken a leave. You can't be compromised from an employment perspective because you've taken that leave. So without getting too much into the employment law show, which, folks, you should check out absolutely, I think from a disability law perspective... You want to make sure that you're only getting off claim if you're actually, in fact, given that green light from your own doctors to return. What I don't want people to do is to buckle under the pressure from the disability insurer to get you back to work. Because we see that as a very common pressure tactic. Adjusters are very keen to put together a return to work plan. They'll even tell you, oh, it's gradual. And, you know, we've done it in conjunction with our own rehab specialist. And you should be able to do this eight to 10 weeks. You'll be back to full-time work. Hang on. The problem with that is that have they gotten some kind of endorsement from your doctor to do that? Have they talked to you about your readiness to do that? Because if they are successful in getting you off claim, guess what? They're not going to want you back. So if you get back to work and you're not ready to do that, whether you've got a job or not, by the way, but hopefully you do, then you know they've washed their hands of you, right? Like they don't have to pay you any more disability benefits. So that really feeds right into the profit model and the way that they work, which is to get people off these disability policies. So look, I think that when someone is better enough to work, that is absolutely the best scenario though, right, John? I mean, that is my wish for every client that I have is to get well enough to be able to get back to work. And that way they're, you know, earning 100% of their salary, they're probably feeling better, they're back at a job they probably love, uh, and that's fantastic. But where it happens more often than not is that they've returned prematurely and then they're getting into all sorts of issues with their disability insurer and having those benefits continuing to be paid and perhaps getting into the quagmire of having to deal with accommodations and partial work and gradual return with their employer. So if you've got any questions around that, folks, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, We'll work that through. Uh, But the starting point typically is what is your own doctor recommending about a return? And with that, moving on to uh, Carla says, hey, Tamar, hi there. I've been on LTD since 2016, and I'm wondering, especially now with inflation, if I can explore a way to make some extra money doing tasks that I'm able to, like uh, like dog walking. Great question. I like that. I like that, Carla, because it really does sort of feed into this idea that I would love for people to be working and not having to deal with disability. But what, what would that do to a disability claim? And I think I've got to look at the policy, John. I mean, these disability policies have these little provisions here and there. Some differ from others saying, if you work in, in any occupation, anything, where you're earning money, you're not entitled to LTD. Now, that seems like it rings very unconscionable. There's an unfairness argument there, absolutely. You know, I, I don't know enough about Carla's disability to really know, you know where she's at or what her health limitations are. But I gotta think that, you know, having, you know, a little job on the side where you're earning a little bit of income, you know, shouldn't necessarily compromise your disability claim, but it could. So before you go down that path, especially if you've been on disability for as long as Carla has, I mean, we're talking, you know, almost uh, a decade, you know, eight years, seven years, you want to make sure that you, you have a clear understanding what your policy says about any sort of work. And if the policy allows some sort of work, 
then I think you've got to be open and honest with your disability insurer about the ability to do that. And I worry that that's just going to open a can of worms for Carla and the disability insurer to get the adjuster too aggressive to say, well, if you can do this little bit of work, then you must be able to do a whole lot of work. And we're going to use that as our assumption that you've got enough function to do that and cut off the claim. And I wouldn't want to see that happen, but I have seen that happen. So case by case, for sure, one to proceed with caution. I think what I would prefer perhaps is that she maybe focus her energy on volunteer work, something that perhaps she's not earning income, maybe is a better way to go. Again, it's a very nuanced analysis, but if it's something that's medically endorsed, that's going to improve her overall health, then by all means, I don't have a lot of trouble recommending people go ahead and do these kinds of activities. But when you start to get into those waters of now you're earning income and now you're able to work, quote unquote, that's when you may have some trouble with some disability insurers who have policies that say, uh uh-uh, the moment you're working anywhere else or earning any income, you're not entitled to LTD benefits anymore. Again, guys, the number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to reach out to Tamara and her team. Similar questions or different ones about your particular predicament or dealing with that insurance company, always reach out and just start asking the questions you need to. Uh, you need to get some answers. I, there's actually a short way to get some answers as well. LTDFAQ.ca. Exactly what it sounds like. Short, quick notations and frequently asked questions about LTD and that whole world. Easily digestible and free. Again, LTDFAQ. .ca. As far as advice is concerned, Tamar, what advice would you give somebody who's getting LTD and needs to move away from their job to get the health support they need from, from family and friends who are, you know, hours away, maybe not next door? Will this disrupt their employment or their LTD claim? Really good question, John. And I think that I want people to get the support they need. So my inclination is go right ahead. You know, you should absolutely move if you're, you know, going to be on a long duration disability and you need those supports, whether for emotional purposes or physical purposes or all of the above, maybe financial even, that you need to move in with another family member. Uh, because certainly nobody's getting rich getting disability insurance, eh, John? So like yeah. you're, you're, it's, it's tough. It's tough out there. And I recognize that 100%. I think where it can be a problem is if the disability policy has provisions around your residence and where you are and having that tied with disability insurance. Usually, as long as you're in Canada, you're good. And usually, as long as you're not outside of Canada for more than a few months, you're good. But I'm giving generalities only to give our listeners just a little thought to think about, okay, but if I'm moving sort of five or six hours away, you know, what's that going to do? Disability benefits shouldn't necessarily be impacted. You, you do want to be open and honest with your adjuster about it, of yep. course. You should let them know that, you know, this is why you're going um, and you want to make sure you've got like a, even a treatment plan in place. So are you going to still have a doctor available to you if you've moved away? Are you going to be able to access the treatment that you need if you've moved away? So all of that's super important to put in place so that your adjuster isn't doing the things that they normally do, which is to say, okay, you're moving away. This means you're never getting back to your own job. And sometimes they will use these motivational factors, I call them, things that question someone's motives about being on disability. And they use that as a means to deny claims, which is completely ridiculous, uh, especially if someone is moving away to be um, in a more supportive environment and something that's going to help them with their health. But the employment side is a little bit trickier because 
the reality is if you are moving five or six hours away, unless you can be facilitated by remote work, the likelihood of you returning to that occupation is going to be very, very low, right? Unless you're planning on moving back. But I don't know if that's necessarily a decision someone needs to make, particularly if they're in the own occupation phase of their disability policy. So I think that at the end of the day, you want to see how your health progresses. And most people I talk to, John, their goal is to get back to work. So, you know, if that's your goal and you still want to move somewhere to have that support, I don't have a lot of, you know, concerns with that. As I said, provided there's, you know, medical and support and this sort of thing and your insurance company's aware. I just think, you know, in a phase like that, maybe your employer is on a need-to-know basis. So you can provide periodic updates to your employer if need be. Most disability insurers will also provide those updates to your employer. And you can make some choices around your employment as things progress. Because if you're going to be totally disabled from your own occupation and then come the two-year mark, you find yourself still not able to work in any setting, then it becomes irrelevant, right? Whether you go back to that job or not, to some extent, becomes very relevant, at least from the disability analysis and the idea around, you know, moving away from your initial location uh, and still having ongoing benefits. I I don't see the LTD benefit provider being all that fussed, um, but if they are, you know, we're only a phone call away uh, and we're happy to take a careful look at this. But generally, as my advice is, you know, open and honest with the insurer and then do whatever you can to get better. That's the key. And uh, I think we have time to get Gail's in, uh, email in here. It says, guys, sure. I was uh, diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis in 2020 and suffering with symptoms in late 2019. I'm on LTD, but do not feel that I'm ready to go back to work. Can my LTD adjuster make me? Go back to work. How about that? Well, I'm seeing a theme today. I'm seeing a theme because, no, Gail, they cannot make you go back to work. Um, You know, I had a client with psoriatic arthritis, John, a couple years back, and we were. it took a while, but we were really successful in resolving the claim with the disability insurer in the end because this type of a condition, I know a little bit about it because of my client, but this type of condition can relapse and remit, so it can flare it can be really, really disabling. There's some very strong medication that Gail is probably taking to try and manage that condition. And so the inclination sometimes with disability insurers in claims like this is to say, well, if you're not in the middle of a flare, you should be able to work. And so they may take a period of stability for Gail and use that as their assumption that this is how it's going to be going forward and therefore she's fine and should be able to return back to work or some other work setting. And I think that inclination is not correct. So what I want to get across to Gail is that if her own doctors are saying, no, no, we're we're achieving stability because she's not stressed and she's not working and she's focusing on her health and she's doing this and she's doing that, then we're not agreeing that she's capable of working. We're just agreeing with the fact that we've got something under control for a little bit of time. But it will be very important for the doctors to provide that kind of a nuanced opinion or report to the insurance company a few paragraphs explaining where she's at to resist the insurer's temptation to say, hey, you're okay, you're good to go, and you you can return back to work. Legally speaking, they can't force you, but you need to brace yourself that if they feel that you are capable of working, it may mean that your LTD benefits come to an end. And if they've done so improperly, you absolutely have the right to start a legal claim and challenge them for more benefits. 
Gail, you've got the email address right for sure. I'm going to give you that phone number for the chance, uh, likelihood, actually, you're going to be following me up with tomorrow on this particular matter, and that is 1-855-821-5900. That's how you do that, and we'll get to Harry's email here, pals. Hang on, we'll get to you after a short break, which we're going to take now. Continue to stay with us and have your contributions as well. You can email anytime, help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue more. The Disability Law Show is coming right up. And yeah, we're back here with the Disability Law Show. So good to have you with us this week. And if you've sent along an email, appreciate it. Uh, Right off the top for doing so and taking part in the show, your email, if you're sending one along now or over the course of the week, may appear in a future show, help at disabilityrights.ca. Also do a lot of TV shows tomorrow and myself and Savannah and the rest of the team. For that, you can go to disabilityrights.ca, Knowledge Center, Media. You can click on past shows and find out a station uh, across the country that pretty much carries our show. Again, disabilityrights.ca. And the phone number always starts with a call, right, to talk to Tamara and her team, one 821 5900. Okay, Harry, thanks for standing by, pal. Your email's up next. As guys, I was riding my bike last summer uh, when a car came around a bend and hit me. Fell off my bike and my bike was destroyed. I hurt my left leg and arm when I fell. I've been seeing a, a physiotherapist as I still can't walk properly. There was a witness and the police spoke to us too. Should I speak to a lawyer about all of this? Great question. It is a great question, Harry, and I think that I want to spend a little bit of time talking about your email because it touches on a couple of things. Look, our firm does work in personal injury matters, and we work in personal injury matters when it arises from a motor vehicle accident or a fall or any number of claims where someone has been injured as a result of someone else's fault. That's negligence. And in Harry's situation, it certainly sounds like the car, the driver of the car, was responsible for causing the accident. And in a situation like that, I would not hesitate, Harry, to speak to a lawyer about what your options are, because there are many, actually. So, of course, being that it's the disability law show, I want to talk about the disability part first, which is clearly he's got an injury to his leg. You know, he's got, um, you know, he's seeing a physiotherapist. I got to wonder whether he's actually pursued long-term disability yet. He should if he hasn't. Uh, and so if he was working and he has benefits either through his employer, or perhaps he's got a private plan, either way, no hesitation to proceed with that disability claim. You should have that going. But most people, John, when they get involved in a car accident or something involving a car, even if they were on their bike or perhaps they were a pedestrian, will actually first pursue auto insurance. That's usually when it involves a car, usually you go to your auto insurer for benefits because they cover you actually for certain amounts. It's called first party benefits, accident benefits. There's lots of different names for it, but without getting too technical, your own auto policy and the other driver's auto policy have access to further compensation. And the starting point of that compensation is usually rehabilitation. So in other words, they will pay for physiotherapy treatment and other treatment that you might need They might actually even cover some expenses that you might have depending on the severity of your health issues. And there are interactions between those types of benefits and long-term or short-term disability. But it doesn't mean that you can't get both. So I always say to people when they are involved in these kinds of claims, it is important to speak to the right lawyer, ones who understand both sides of the element. Actually, there's three elements to Harry's situation. I'm going to talk about the third in a moment. But 
the elements that I've just said on accident benefits and LTD or a short term, very, very important to do that early on so that you're not missing out on the timeframes in which to pursue these kinds of benefits. And if there's trouble on either side, we're more than happy to help. We've got a great team that does these accident benefits claims and of course the short term and long term disability claims. But I want to talk about a third element of Harry's situation and that's actually potentially a tort claim. So if someone has caused your injuries in Ontario, you can sue the the car, the driver yep. of for those injuries, pain and suffering, um, you know, the elements relating to the actual physical injuries and perhaps there are some other health issues that Harry may share with us. And so you've only got two years in which to do that, two years from the moment that you discovered that you had a claim. And so if he's been on this for now nearly a year, I really think that it's time that he start to speak to a lawyer and really get a sense of what does the next few months look like, the next few years look like, and whether or not it makes sense to pursue a tort claim. So it's a legal action against the driver. Now, the driver's insurer will be involved um, as well in a situation like that. And again, all of these elements interact with one another. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of compensation that Harry may get from all of these sources. And you don't want to miss out one or the other or prioritize one over the other without understanding very clearly how all of them work together. So really, really good email. I appreciate Harry reaching out. And if individuals have personal injury matters, please don't hesitate to contact the firm as well. We've got lots of expertise in that area, along with the disability and employment work that we do. Always in good hands. Harry, you sent that uh, note along. Now the phone call probably to follow up as well as we take uh, one more short break here before we continue that. Number one eight five five eight two one. 5,900 that email address you can use every show again as well. Help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue short break, coming back with more of the Disability Law Show. Hang on. You bet. We're back. Disability Law Show here. Some uh, some for, uh, some more minutes to go, so we'll get into a couple more emails possibly. Tamara Gopian is uh, the one with the knowledge. You want to reach out to Tamara and her team. We always encourage you to do so. Ready, uh, standing by for just a chat if that's all it takes. one 821 5,900 or simply help at disabilityrights.ca. Uh, let's talk about the government here for a bit tomorrow. Now, the government sure. accepts a person as disabled, say, for the disability tax credit or CPP disability, which we've talked about before. Will the LTD insurer like, back off on their repeated requests for updates of information from a claimant if they have all that information? Yeah, that, that's a really interesting one. I mean, I, I think the short answer is maybe not. <laughs> but, I, but I think for the benefit of our listeners, I want to talk a little bit about those two uh, government plans. Uh, it bears mentioning again that if you are disabled and not capable of working, and it's been going on uh, for a little while, then you really do want to access, access these other government-based disability programs as well. So the one that the disability insurers like to talk about the most is CPP disability. It's intended for uh, eligibility purposes for individuals who have a severe and prolonged disability. And so look, the process is similar to applying for long term and most insurance companies want you to apply because if you get those benefits, well, they get a credit for whatever you get from the government. But I always say to people, look, better you're pursuing these avenues and you're getting the compensation than not at all. And better that you've got the acknowledgement from the government that you've got a severe and prolonged disability. 
because it can be that much tougher for the disability insurer than to justify cutting you off down the road saying you don't have a total disa- totally disabling condition. So that's one element of it. The disability tax credit is actually very similar in its test, but I'm told much simpler to apply. Apparently, John, you just need a medical certificate um, and you oh. make that application. Um, and with that application, you get a reduction in what you're paying by way of income tax. So if you're the type of person who's receiving long-term disability benefits that are taxable, and so you might be getting, say, $3,000 a month, but the insurance company is withholding 30% of that to remit that directly to tax, which they are obligated to do, then with the disability tax credit, when it comes time for that claimant to file their taxes, they get a rebate and they get a reduction. So some of that money comes back to the claimant And I hear it can be somewhat significant because you can imagine with tax being 30% or more, uh, if you've got a reduction in your your tax rate, you're going to get a lot more money back from the government. So all good things. But then what does it do with the reasoning with the LDD insurer, which was your question, right? So what happens if you've been approved for a severe and prolonged disability? uh, Will it desist the insurance company or the adjuster from doing all of the fun things they like to do, which is to harangue people for updated medical information, sometimes monthly, sometimes every three months. And so I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit and just talk about some of the experience that I had when I worked for one of these insurance companies. And I would see claims that were deemed on long duration or on maintenance. There's different words for it. But what it means is that the insurance company has deemed you totally disabled, likely until you turn 65 years old. And I can tell you that when you're in that zone, it's not easy to get to that zone, but if you're in that zone with the insurance company, then usually the adjuster's only going to be looking for periodic updates. In other words, it can be once a year or maybe twice a year at most, and they're not doing the regular active adjudication of your claim to try and see if they can bring your claim to a close. So can it be that you're approved for the DTC, Disability Tax Credit, or the CPPD, the CPP Disability Benefit, and this then puts your claim automatically to long duration, probably not going to be automatic. But could it persuade the disability insurer, the adjuster to say, okay, this is one that's probably going to be one till 65? Yes. And if it's not, it might be a fair conversation to have with your adjuster to say, hey, I've now been approved for these two um, government sponsored plans. You know, what's the expectation around what's going to happen with my disability claim? I think that's absolutely a fair question to ask the adjuster in your conversations on updates and say, look, I assume then I'm going to be approved past the two-year mark, or I assume then that it must mean that you guys don't need regular as frequent updates. You know, I would ask that question because if you can get yourself labeled on long duration, it can actually be something very positive to allow you to have a little bit of comfort that your benefits might continue without interruption. And you know what? If it doesn't, you know we're just a phone call away. Rafi is the guy. Let's see if we can get to Rafi's email quickly here. It says, uh, guys, I've been on LTD since 2021, and the change of definition date on my claim is coming up next week. I've asked my disability insurer to provide me a copy of my LTD policy to see if there's a requirement for a cost of living adjustment as my monthly disability payment hasn't changed to date. My insurer tells me it can take 30 days or more to provide this, and I requested it over a month ago. Still haven't received the policy. Is there a limitation date that I should be concerned about if the policy does, in fact, require a cost of living adjustment to be provided? 
Yes, Rafi, yes. <laughs> so you should absolutely get your policy. If you request it in writing, they're entitled to provide it to you pursuant to the Insurance Act. They shouldn't really be dragging their heels on this. And so I'm a little concerned, actually, that perhaps they're aware that there is an issue. And if there's an issue and they've underpaid you, usually the moment you discover that there's an underpayment, so in other words, they haven't given you that cost of living adjustment, you've got two years from that date, from when you first learned there was a problem, to start a legal claim against the insurer. Sometimes it could be even sooner than that if they made you aware of something that you should have known that perhaps you didn't know. So it can get somewhat technical. I think in Rafi's situation, what I'd like to do, John, is maybe get him on the horn. Let's see what this policy says. And if there has been a significant underpayment, perhaps a letter from me or my firm or somebody uh, will help move that needle with the insurance company without having to go so far as a legal claim. We can't hold our breath, but I think it is something that's really important to pursue for Rafi. Rafi, appreciate that. Short and sweet, pal, but we're going to uh, follow up with a phone call, aren't we? How you do that is simple as we close it off here for another week. one 821 5900 And for you, if you've been listening to the show, wondering how you can send an email along and take part, get some answers, that's easy. Help at disabilityrights.ca. And another place for you to ask questions anonymously, mydisabilityquestions.com. That one's got a searchable database. Kind of cool. You can see if a question like yours has been asked and answered previously. If not, leave it there. Tomorrow, our team will get to it. We will catch you next time time right here on the Disability Law Show.